0: Let me start our time by um, just asking you to think about this sentence, and I realize Daylight Savings, you missed an hour, I get that, it's a pretty long sentence, but I'm um, lock on to you, okay? Well, one of the benefits and challenges of being made in the image of God and being remade in the image of Christ is both the ability and the responsibility, now now this is the important part, uh, of thinking different kinds of biblical thoughts simultaneously. Now again, I know that's a, that's a long sentence right there, so let me give it to you one more time because it really frames what we're going to be talking about from the Word of God today. One of the benefits and one of the challenges of being made in the image of God and being remade in the image of Christ is both the ability and the responsibility of thinking different kinds of biblical thoughts simultaneously. Now if we we're just going to bring that down to street level, what, what I'm really trying to say is often followers of Jesus Christ are called upon to walk and chew gum at the same time. And the fact that God expects us to be able to do that, and He enables us to do that, it says a lot about the the, the minds and the hearts that God has created. Now, I realize you might say, illustrate that fast because I'm not sure where we're going here. Well, I, I can do that. It's not unusual at all for us to come to the Lord's house on the Lord's Day and during our prayer time hear about a new baby who's been born which allows us just to immediately rejoice with that family. And then in the very next moment, hear about a member of our church or one of their loved ones who has died, which allows us to weep with that family. In fact, Paul said as much in Romans twelve fifteen: Rejoice with those who rejoice and, and weep with those who weep. And what all of us have experienced is sometimes you have to do that simultaneously. Which, again, tells us something about how amazing our God-given minds are because I think if we went around the room, we, we could tell plenty of stories about how the Holy Spirit allowed you to do just that. So, so you're applying this passage of Scripture to this situation. Well, at the same time, you're applying that passage of Scripture to that situation. And, oh, by the way, you're also driving your car down the road and kind of thinking about some of the things that go along with that activity. And you're doing it. Uh, all at the same time. Now now let's push it even further. Sometimes we're called upon to do that with the same event. So, for example, we all experienced the, the sadness and the grief that went with the homegoing of our sister, Arisa Fanata. So many elements of that that, humanly speaking, were terribly sad, and we continue to mourn with her husband, Neato, with their children, uh, with Arisha's parents, But at the same time, doing what? Rejoicing in the biblical truths regarding Arisa's eternal home. You you could say it this way, maybe to push this logic one step further. Often in the Christian life, it's not either or. It's both and. That's why Paul said to the Thessalonians, "We we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, so that you'll not grieve as the rest who have no hope. So, so what does that mean? Yet, yes, we're grieving still, because there's so much about that that hurts, but we also factor in mentally reasons to have hope, and we can, and we must do that at the same time. Now hopefully we have the premise established. That one of the benefits and the challenges of being made in the image of God. And being remade in the image of Christ is both the ability and the responsibility of thinking different kinds of biblical thoughts simultaneously. Now, what happens when we wrap that into a topic like, like suffering? So, for example, suffering under an unjust government. Do we have just one responsibility there? Or do we have many that we have to focus on at the same time? So the book that we're studying in the early months of this year has specific commands. Here here it is. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 15. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to one in authority, to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, to the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God. If you say, I don't want to, God wants you to. "For, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Well, What if we believe our government is being unjust in some way? At least in a participatory form of government in which we live, we can speak up in all sorts of ways. We can work toward what we believe is a more just government. But here's my question for you. Does that mean we can neglect the submit yourself to your government part of the equation? See, is it either or, or is it both and? Let me illustrate that. This is tax season, right? The pastor's taxes are kind of complex. And so my dear honey and I, we sent off our taxes just last Saturday. Still kind of in a bad mood about some of that, frankly. Is it possible that some of what the government does with our money violates biblical principles? <laughs> I read, an. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have, it should not go in the news on Sunday mornings. I read an article about the the current status of our national debt. Wow. But we can't choose one or the other. So I can't say, well, I'm going to advocate for better tax policies, so I'm not going to obey what the Word of God says about paying taxes until the government spends all my tax dollars the way I believe is right. That would be about the quickest way to start a jail ministry that I can think of. (laughs) Right? From the inside, we'll visit you. So so again, Christians have to learn the art of of, of both and, obeying all that the Word of God has to say about a particular topic. Later in that same chapter that I quoted, Peter raises the issue of work. Servants be submissive. You like that submissive thing, by the way? If you don't like it now, you're not going to like what's coming because the Word of God says a lot about this matter. Servants be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, don't miss that, but also to those who are what? A pain in the unreasonable. And I realize our, our employment structures are not the same as the culture in Peter's day, but the principles carry over. So, so even if you work in a place where there's some kind of grievance process or, or appeal process, that doesn't mean, and here's the key here, that does not mean we can entirely discount what Scripture says about submission in the workplace. It's all true. So for a third time, for those in the back, one of the benefits and challenges of being made in the image of God and being remade in the image of Christ is both the ability and the responsibility of thinking different kinds of biblical thoughts simultaneously. So so in that particular illustration I just gave, you might be working toward more just conditions in the workplace and you're still seeking to submit to the authority that God has placed in your life in that area. Now... Hopefully that's all established, because now I want to ask you this question. Is that also true in Christian marriage? And the answer to that question is it certainly is. And the fact that's true provides an intellectual challenge and a great amount of hope. Because if God designed marriage that way, He also stands ready to help us make it a growing reality. With that in mind, open your Bible, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, that's on page 181 of the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you, if you'd like to use that one this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 3, page 181 of the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. Our theme this year is hope for everyday life. And so to develop that idea, in these early months of the year, we're doing a, a verse-by-verse study of the books of First and 2 Peter, we're, we're calling this Hope in Everyday Suffering. That's one of the things I love, by the way, about studying verse by verse through an extended section of Scripture. Nobody could say, well, the reason whatever pastor is speaking this morning is speaking on that is because he got honked off about something last week, and now he's bringing it on that top. No, 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 no. Why are we talking about this today? Answer, it's the next thing in the book. We all got that? And by the way, I was not hired here 35 years ago to write a new Bible. Was that my mandate? Steve, we want you to come and improve on the word of God. Give us your wisdom. Was that it? No, my job was to what? Preach the word. How much of it? All of it. I don't get in trouble around here for preaching the word. I might get a little bit of trouble if I skip some of it. Right? Would you want to be coming to pastor to listen to pastor skip what he doesn't, what he doesn't think will be palatable to the modern mind? Uh, good. 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 Cuz we're just we're getting all after it, right? And I do think there are some people who are kind of like 80% Bible Christians. I'll believe 80% of it. I'll follow 80% of it. But the 20% I don't like, I'm just going to discount. Wrong. Christianity is an all-or-nothing proposition. And that Bible you've got on your lap is an all-or-nothing proposition book. Do you believe that? How much Scripture is inspired by God? You believe that? You like way believe that? Men believe that? Women believe that? All God's children believe that? All right, we're going to have fun this morning. Here we go. Now, now, what's the context? We know Peter is writing to people who have been scattered, right? Don't forget that. Why? Because of the persecution of the church under the wicked emperor Nero, which is why Peter, I mean, he jumps right into that topic in verse 6, and this you greatly rejoice, if though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by, by various trials. And what we've learned is the book is intensely practical. In fact, I just mentioned two examples of of areas of life in which they struggled and we struggled that are already taught in this book, how we relate to our government and how we relate to our bosses. And even when you're suffering under imperfect authority in either one of those realms, there are still biblical principles we have to consider, yet you're walking and chewing gum at the same time. And then somewhat surprisingly, in chapter 3, Peter turns his attention to Christian marriage. And so today, today we're talking about hope for wives in suffering. And Lord willing, next week, unless Jesus returns in the next seven days, at this campus we're going to turn to husbands in 1 Peter 3.7. Now you say, hey, I don't like that. You should have started with men. Why are you doing it in this order? Why am I doing it in this order? Because that's the order that comes in the book, right? You, we just said a minute ago we like the book. So, so now we're going to follow the order that's given in the book, right? That would have been a good time for our right, but that, that just, that's the way it, it ought to be. Now, now, a couple of other issues before we read the text. What about a person who would say, well, I'm single. <laughs> what do I need to do with the, this material? Well, well, here's three quick responses to that. One, the, the, the general principles that we're talking about in this passage can be applied to all sorts of human relationships. That's one answer. Second answer is to, to pray for the people in our church family who are married. That God would help us obey what God's Word says about these matters. And thirdly, there's at least the possibility for some single people that God may bring a spouse across your path someday. It it could happen. It could happen. And I'll tell you, I've been off the dating scene for a long, long time. So maybe I don't know exactly how it works anymore, but here's what i do. If I was going on my first date with somebody, and we'd order up the appetizer at the restaurant, and then while we we're waiting for that to come, I'd say, hey, do you mind pulling out your Bible, the first Peter chapter 3, and let's just go over a few things <laughs> from the Word of God, because if you're not on this, then I'm not staying for the main course, okay? And by the way, by the way, some of you might say, you know, I'm a little shy. I'm not sure I could have that conversation on the first date. I actually have a solution to that. Invite me to come <laughs> along... Now, you're buying, you're buying if you're inviting me, and I'm pretty good at the eating thing, but, but, but I'll, I'll have that conversation. We just have a, have a, would that be something? That'd be a great way to, well, ruin a date. Anyway, anyway. All right, now, now one more thing, and I realize this is going to become the, the longest introduction in the history of man, but, but admittedly, um, these verses are controversial. Honestly, a lot of this book is, but, but it raises the question, well, how do we even develop a, a theology of the role of the wife? Or how do we develop a theology of the the role of the husband? And then how do verses like the ones that we're studying, how do they fit into the process? I I want to encourage you to know this theological pyramid. This is a very important way just to think about how do we develop our view of anything from Scripture. And it starts with the canon, and I'm going to develop it from the bottom up really quickly, and then I'm going to give you a couple of implications to guide what we're doing today. So we believe the Word of God. We believe it's inspired, etc. Building on that is hermeneutics. So, what does that mean? Principles of Bible study. We, we don't just interpret the Bible in any helter skelter way we want. But there are rules of logic, there are rules of language that govern the way we interpret the Word of God. Then we do exegesis. That word means leading out the meaning of a passage of Scripture. So, this is not my musings about the role of the wife. You wouldn't have gotten up early for that. This is what God's Word says. And by the way, if you notice carefully the methodology that your pastors follow, if you know what passage we're going to be speaking on in advance, you can pretty much figure out what the outline is going to be before we even give it to you. Why? Because we're following the logic of the text. Look for the main verbs. That's generally how you follow the logic of the text. And so we're not giving you our ideas. We're, we're expositing the Word of God. That is the task to which we've been called Now, building on that is biblical theology. That's very, very important. We're studying all that the Word of God has to say about a particular topic. So what does the Word of God say about the role of the wife from beginning to end? What does the Word of God say about the role of the husband from beginning to end? And we're not going to be afraid of any of it. Do you agree with that? We're not going to be afraid of any of it. That's what we mean. Propositional statements from all over the Scripture about whatever topic we're seeking to study. Then and only then do we try to organize it or systematize it. So all of this is very, very sequential, and that's then what leads us to our practical theology. How do we change and grow? What do we believe about each one of these topics? Now, two very important implications for what we're doing today. One is don't be afraid to let all of what God's Word says on a subject inform your belief system. So don't be afraid of 1 Peter 3, 1-6. Don't be afraid of 1 Peter 3, 7. Don't discount the verses that really get after it. Over 20 years ago now, we were making some transitions in the way we were doing music and worship here. That was an interesting time in my life and ministry for sure. And I remember what one of our members said to me. We we did 12 weeks through an entire summer on worship and music. And one of our members who came from a pretty conservative um, church background said to me in the middle of that, hey, let's just not be afraid to be biblical. Even if it requires us to make some changes, let's not be afraid. That is a great statement. Let's not ever be afraid to be biblical. Now, the second implication of that is don't focus exclusively on one passage to the neglect of everything else that the Bible says on a particular topic. So what I'm going to be saying about 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6 this morning, the unity principle, it has to be able to bear the weight of the rest of the Bible. Now with all that in mind, you ready? We're going to read this important passage of Scripture together. 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 1, in the same way. Now that's a very important transitional phrase. Remember when we were studying chapter 2? I was here a couple of weeks ago and I was at, at the, the um, transition from chapter 1 to chapter 2. And we spent some time talking about the first word in chapter 2, verse 1, which is what? Therefore. And we spent time talking about what the therefore is there for. Now, that's even truer when we get to chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, that automatically makes us think about everything we've studied the past several weeks. All these important themes from chapter 2. Building on that in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, They may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectable behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on of dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him what? You still with me? Calling him Lord. And you become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. What a fascinating passage from the Word of God. We're talking this morning about hope for wives and suffering, and now I want to just walk down through the argument of that text Looking for three actions to guide wise when times are hard. Now, you might say, I mean, it's a fair question. Why would we use the word suffering in the same sentence as the word marriage? <laughs> well, a couple of questions about that. Do we live in a sin cursed culture? Would that be a big yes? And do married people live with an imperfect spouse? And those of you who are, in, uh, who are married, you might want to not want to answer that too loud, but, but uh, absolutely. Think about the original audience. That's an important part of hermeneutics, by the way. Before we think about now how does it apply to us, we need to think about how would it have applied to the original audience. See, these are people who had to flee their homes. That They're suffering as a result of their external circumstances, and they're married to imperfect spouses, and imperfections are often exacerbated during periods of external suffering. So where's the hope? Where is the hope if you're living with an imperfect spouse? The answer is in asking the Holy Spirit to help you be God's kind of person and trusting Him for the results. What were we just singing a minute ago? Trust you, Jesus. Did we sing that? Is it trust you, Jesus, as long as Jesus, what you tell me to do is what I already wanted to do myself? That's not trust. That's agreement. Trust is when I choose to believe what God says and choose to act on what God says, even when it violently <laughs> clashes what I really want to do inside. That's when submission really starts. So, three actions to guide wise when times are hard. First of all, embrace the call to submission. I mean, the primary point here is not difficult to grasp. You wise, be submissive to your own husbands. Unless somebody would say, wow, well, Peter, just some kind of male chauvinist pig. <laughs> well, he, he said word for word what the Apostle Paul said as well. Wise, be subject to your own husbands, as to whom? As to the, the Lord. Now, please keep in mind, this is in a context. It's in a context that both men and women are responsible to live submissively. So so submission is not just a woman's problem. It's all of our problem. And we've already seen it in 1 Peter 2.13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority. So, So men and women are called upon to live submissively. Same is true in the workplace. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Men and women are called upon to live submissively. And, of course, the, the climax of that part of the text. For you have been called for this purpose. Called for what purpose? To, to live submissively under imperfect authority. That, that's the answer. You've been called. That's why. You say, why did God make me a Christian? So that you could model this important characteristic in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. For you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to, to follow in his steps. But by the way, if that's true, if what I just said was true, that submission is not just a woman's problem, but it's a man and woman's problem, that actually gives husbands a question to ask this morning. Is the way you're living submissively in the areas of authority that God has placed over you being a wonderful model for your wife and your kids as they sit to the authority that God has placed in their life? That's why the very first phrase in chapter 3, verse 1 is in the same way. In other words, in the same way citizens are to relate to our imperfect government, in the same way servants are to relate to their masters, our employers to employees, employees to employers, or the same way our Savior related to unjust treatment he received, God has given wives the calling and the opportunity to submit to the leadership of their husbands. Now now let's define what that means. What, What does submission even mean? Well, we've seen it throughout the book. It's the same word, hupotasso. It's a military term. It means to to line up and rank under. And here's the bottom line. In any human relationship, somebody has to have the axe over their neck. In other words, if there's some sort of an impasse, then there's going to be. This side of heaven, there are going to be, you get two people in the room, it's not going to be long before there's going to be some kind of impasse. If there's some kind of an impasse that does not involve clear sin, somebody has to make the final call. Otherwise, you have chaos. So let's just take the the original audience. They're they're scattered, which means in part, they have to decide where they're going to live. So let me just choose randomly a couple of the cities that were mentioned at the beginning of this book. What if the wife believes we ought to move to Pontus and the husband believes it's safer in Galatia? Now what? I mean, what do you do? Well, hopefully there will be an open conversation about the pros and cons, right? And hopefully the husband will study this next week as part of his responsibility to learn about his wife's needs and desires and his desire to fulfill her preferences whenever possible hopefully he'll listen carefully and thoughtfully to what she has to say but ultimately he's going to have to decide and if that's not true these verses are meaningless ultimately he's going to have to decide and if his decision is not the wife's preference in that particular instance the wife's privilege and responsibility is to follow her husband's leadership and and that's why the in the same way phrase is so very important because every time she chooses to submit to his leadership, she's choosing to be like who? She's choosing to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And while being reviled, he didn't revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept in tr- I will trust you, Jesus. We sang it. We sang it. Do we believe it? But kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Now, here's a question. Is this in the Bible because the husband's opinions are always better than the wife's? Is that what it is? (laughs) Absolutely not. A stunning verse in the New Testament, which would have shocked a New Testament audience, is the essential equality between men and women. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. Listen to that. For you're all one in Christ Jesus That's why oftentimes in Christian marriage, by the way, the wisest thing a husband can do is delegate all sorts of responsibility to his wife in areas where she's just more gifted. I know a number of wonderful Christian couples where the wife handles all the finances. And the husband would just say, she's better with money than I am. And that's not a matter of him abdicating his responsibility, nor is it a matter of her usurping it. It's just an agreement that they have come to. Now, I also assume this goes without saying. We're not talking about a husband asking a wife to do something that's clearly sinful. No. No human entity has absolute authority. That's why Peter also said, this is Acts five twenty nine, we have to obey God rather than men. So let me, here, here's a couple of illustrations about that one. Let, let's go back to taxes. I got taxes on the brain. Um, I'm just going to leave that alone. But anyway, let, let's just say that a, a husband and wife file their taxes jointly. And so let's say that the husband has prepared the taxes or had somebody prepared the taxes, but he's clearly lying. So he's lying about the amount of charitable contributions in order to get a higher tax deduction, and the wife knows they did not give that much money to charitable organizations last year. He signs it, dates it, slides it over to his wife, and asks her, or worse, tells her to sign it. Would First Peter 3, 1-6 mandate that she has to sign a fraudulent tax return? what's the answer to that question? That, thank you. I got some no's. It's interesting. Most of the no's were female. But, but anyway, that's all right. That's all right. The guys were, the guys were praying about it, but they were going to lead here momentarily. <laughs> the answer to that is no, right? All God's children agree with that. The answer is no, 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 no. Okay. That's a, that's a pretty easy one. You want a harder one? You want a harder one? By the way, I'm leaving the country in the morning. And so that's, that's why I'm just, just going to get in. Everybody all wound up I'm going. But, but anyway, here we go. And you may not agree with me on this one. That, that, that's right. This is, a, this is an illustration. You don't have to agree with my illustrations. But, but what if? What if a husband wants to start a new business? But in order to do so, the couple's going to have to withdraw all their money that they've saved for retirement. They're going to have to mortgage their house to its limits. They're going to have to empty all their savings accounts. In fact, the husband is asking the wife to go ask her parents for some sort of an unsecured loan and the only way this is going to work is if the wife will sign every one of those documents taking all the steps that I just mentioned. Does First Peter 3, 1 to 6 mandate that she has to sign that? Now, Again, you might not agree with me on this, and we probably need more specific facts, but I would not say the answer to that question is yes. I do not believe a wife is mandated to to get on board with any crazy idea that her husband might come up with. And you say, well, why? At some point it becomes a matter of financial stewardship for her. And that's why something else about this, if you say, my husband and I or my wife and I, we're at an impasse right now. What should we do? Get more counsel. There's all kinds of people around here who would be happy to sit down with you and try to help you apply the principles from the Word of God to the specific situation that you're in. And please hear me. There is absolutely nothing wrong with admitting that you need some help. I've needed counsel on how to be a better husband. I've needed counsel on how to be a better father. I've needed counsel on how to be a better pastor. I've needed counsel on how to be, I just fill in the blank. Honestly, I don't know too many people who haven't. But, but I know this, if, you're commi- if you say, I want to know what God's will is in this matter, I want to open my heart to apply all of God's word in what we're facing, and I'm going to get some help. I believe the Holy Spirit of God will help you come to the right answer on that particular matter. Don't be afraid of asking for help. Now here's the next question. Well, What if the husband's not behaving in a very godly fashion? Great question. That's clearly articulated in this passage. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that if even any of them are disobedient to the word. What what does that mean? That they don't yet know the Lord. They're unbelieving men. They may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. Now, let me just ask you again, don't be afraid of the Bible. What does without a word mean? Okay, I'll say without nagging. Right without constantly focusing on his failures. And by the way, if you say, I'm not sure I like that. Well, <laughs> let's hear what Paul has to say about that. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, we'll come back to that in a minute, she must not send her husband away. Why? For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. How's that true? You put your husband in the best possible position to become a follower of Jesus Christ because he's observing your godly behavior every day. And it gets even more powerful. The un, and by the way, that's true if you change genders. The unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. And then for otherwise, your children are unclean, but, but now they're holy for the exact same reason. You could say it like this. Biblical submission has a powerful apologetic value. And we have men and women in our church family who are in that situation where they're married to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, But the unbelieving partner is pleased to dwell with their Christian spouse. What does that mean? At a minimum, committed to a civil monogamous relationship and our brothers and sisters in that situation are doing the very best they can to be a godly spouse even when it's hard. Why? There's at least three reasons. They think that pleases God. That's the goal of their life. They believe that it helps them become more like Jesus Christ, and it puts their spouse and their children in the best possible position to repent and believe in Christ themselves. And I would encourage you to have a special place in your heart for brothers and sisters in our church family who are in that situation, and do all that you can to encourage them as they're seeking to do what God wants them to do. Now, what's the caveats? We're certainly not talking about any kind of physical abuse and the exact nature of the conditions in the home have to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis to determine whether or not is that unbelieving person really pleased to dwell his spouse. And that doesn't mean he's willing to occasionally come home, but he wants his Christian wife there to cook his meals. I'm not talking about that. So that's why this has to be determined on a case-by-case basis. Now here's a very, very important point historically. When my predecessor came here, Bill Good, nearly 50 years ago, you other this church is 59 years old. Pastor Good came here nearly 50 years ago now. He led this church to adopt a two grounds for biblical divorce position that was very controversial during those days because most conservative churches held to a no grounds for divorce position. In other words, you have a passage like 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6, and that's all you have. Pastor Good did not believe that. And this church has not believed that for 50 years. We've taught there are at least two biblical grounds for divorce, adultery or desertion. A desertion meaning not being pleased to dwell with one's spouse in a civil and monogamous fashion. And so what Pastor Good's point was, there is such a thing as biblical divorce. And not only was that taught in this church, he and Doc Smith traveled around the Midwest encouraging other churches to consider all that the Word of God had to say about this subject. And some, of them were, or some people criticized him and criticized this church, and they said, well, you guys have a weak view of marriage. They said, no, it's the opposite. Mandating that a person stay in a marriage regardless of the treatment he or she is receiving, that's the weak view of marriage. And nine, now, just think about that historically. Nine times out of ten, that position favored who? It favored the wife who was in a situation that was difficult and it's not always true that that person has to stay in that situation regardless of the treatment that she or he is facing. Now that takes us back though. Say, why did you introduce this message the way you did? It takes us back to what we said at the very beginning. Christians are called upon to think different kinds of biblical thoughts simultaneously, which means this, what can't be done. And I'm here, you say, why are you giving, making this emphasis? Because I'm hearing this in certain circles. What can't be done is a husband or wife saying, because I don't think my spouse is doing right, therefore I don't have to do right either. And one of the takeaways here is if you need help in determining how Scripture informs your specific situation, there's all kinds of people who would be happy to sit down and try to sort that out. Now let's come back to the main points. And let me give some suggested questions for husbands and some suggested questions for wives. Husbands, I want to ask you to ask yourself. Are you being submissive to the God-given leadership in your life so that your wife and children have a clear model to follow? It would also be very wise for you to ask your wife, are there any changes you could are there any changes that I could make as a husband? that would make it easier for you to follow my leadership. And guys, if your wife's non-snarky but honest answer to that question would be, what leadership are we even talking about? Then we got another issue. Because I think we live in a culture that has so um, criticized any kind of leadership at all that now we have men, even in the church, who are too afraid to lead in any way, shape, or form. And that becomes a, a different problem. Why? It's pretty clear, isn't it? I would encourage you to evaluate yourself in this area. And I realize the world scoffs at this. There's something, they'll they'll be shocked that I would dare bring this up in the church house. (laughs) I slept like a baby last night, all right? And let me tell you why. For Verses like this, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in the heaven. And why not ask your husband what you could do to bring yourself more in line with what the Scripture teaches here? Now, what else does the passage add? Pursue a heart of submission. See, insincere, insincere submission is not submission at all. And the attitude that they say, okay, fine, fine, testifiers, I, I'm going to comply on the outside, but I, I, I'm not happy about it on the inside, that's a far cry from what Peter's describing here. A submissive life is born out of a submissive heart, so how do you do this? What, what are the practical ways you do this? Well, don't overemphasize issues of the outer man. Nothing wrong with braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, wearing dresses. But if that's the focus of one's life, the focus is misplaced. See so What would happen if you kept a list throughout a given week? How much time was spent on the outer man and how much time was spent on the inner man? Which gets the most amount of attention and time and emphasis and bring thoughts and ideas into your heart and life that make biblical submission easier and more likely. Look, if you're feeding on rebellion, it's eventually going to come out. You are what you eat. So so if all the music that you're listening to is rebellious, you're going to become rebellious. You're going to become re- rebellious yourself. If your cultural heroes are people who would laugh about this, you're eventually going to laugh about it as well. Are you hang around the crock long enough you're going to start smelling like a pickle? and and that's why there's a number of women in this church who would say that's why i'm in a ladies' bible study that's why i'm cultivating relationships with godly women because i want to be feeding on those kind of influences in my life and when you struggle being submissive ask what am i allowing to go through my heart you see this this repeated phrase let it be the hidden person of the heart you have to examine your thoughts and your desires and your attitudes here and also be convinced of its lasting value. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is what? And again, I know the world would laugh. I, I get it. Here's what God says about it this is imperishable, this is precious in the heart of God. Who here would say, as they, they left church today, I don't want to live in a way that is precious to the heart of God? That'd be a bad game plan, huh? I would suggest the exact opposite. And I understand. You know, when we built this campus, when people figured out what we meant by Faith West, you say, why do people set their hair on fire for this whole development? Pro- why was it one of the most controversial development projects that's ever been proposed in the history of West Lafayette? Here's the answer because people figured out pretty quickly when we talked about Faith West, we weren't talking about Faith Church. We were talking about the faith that was once and for all delivered unto the saints. We were talking about the fact that without apology, we're not mad about it, we're not trying to force anybody else, but without apology, we are a group of people who believe in the the Word of God. That really bothered some, but we don't live for the applause of the world. We live for what is pleasing in the sight of God. And by the way, I need to say this morning, I'm very, very glad for the many, many, many women in our church who are married and are seeking to grow in to, submission to their husbands, and are actually happy about it. So, so when I was preparing this message, and it is interesting, the younger guys prepare the preaching schedule, and honestly, I don't, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to what they're asking me to do. And we got the First Peter. I just happened to look. Oh, guess who got the First Peter three? it? the old man, throw the old man in there. <laughs> That's all right. But I'll tell you, as I was preparing this message, I wasn't thinking, boy, so-and-so needs to hear this, and so-and-so needs to hear this, and so-and-so needs no, 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 I didn't. Nobody to Say, Now I know why Pastor Vyers called me this week and invited me to come to church. No, we've got so many godly. In fact, let me tell you about an interaction I had this morning. My first 17 years here, Pastor Good's professional assistant, whom then I inherited, was Nancy Johnston. Dear sweet woman, an incredible gift to me as we were making the leadership transition because Nancy was such an excellent, excellent professional assistant. She told me something this morning that I did not know because I gave this message last Sunday at Faith East. And she came up to me and her husband's now passed away for a number of years and Nancy's getting pretty feeble. But she said, you know, what happened to me was I became a Christian and a neighbor invited me to come to Faith Church. And she said, one of the first messages I heard was on that very subject of the role of the wife. And she said, I was so convicted because my husband and I, we used to fight like crazy. She so said, I came home and asked my husband's for forgiveness, and I tried to start living in a way that was consistent with what the Word of God said. And pretty soon, my husband wanted to start coming to church. Kenny became a follower of Jesus Christ. By the time I came to faith, I knew them as a, a godly couple. And they had 53 years of marriage together. And what Nancy told me this morning is, what you preached about last week, it changed my life the first time I heard it. And I'm so glad that a pastor had the courage to teach me the Word of God. I so desperately needed it. It completely transformed my life. It completely transformed my marriage. Praise God for the power of His Word by the way, I do want to say this, this all assumes that you know Christ as Savior and Lord. You can't apply this without first having a personal relationship with Christ. So if you don't know that you know that you know that you're on your way to heaven, I would invite you to talk to one of our service pastors here who can tell you what does it mean to have the kind of relationship with Christ where I would have the desire and the ability to live this way. It's really important to notice that. Peter ends by talking about the freedom of submission. He talks about the holy women of old. His point is other people have lived this way and God has been pleased. And he's not living in the past. He's just trying to give us hope. Other people have struggled in this way. Other people have embraced God's Word. And it helped them and it will help you. And I know there will be a few snickers about this. Sarah calling Abraham Lord. I'm not saying that a Christian wife needs to do that today. Although you might want to try it to see how that Goes, I, I don't know. But isn't it true authority in our day and age is often ridiculed or undermined or disdained? I think it's good for us from time to time to get a healthy dose on the other side of the equation. And what Peter wants us to know, there's security in submission. That, that's the point. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you've become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. I'll tell you when I learned that, it's when I first came here 35 years ago. Because I did not come here as a senior pastor of this church. I came here as the associate. And so the, for the first eight years of my tenure here, I was working for Pastor Good. That meant I was in submission to him. And Pastor Good used, used to love to come into my office and talk about all sorts of questions he had, all sorts of problems he was facing, all that sort of thing. And he would ask me what I thought. And here I am, the young guy, just he's spouting off. You ought to do this, you ought to do the blah, 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 blah. And then we'd get done, and he would walk out with his shoulders kind of slumped over. You know why? Because the ax was over his neck, not mine. He's the one who had to make the decision, and he was the one who was going to bear the responsibility for whatever he decided. Then on one night, 27 years ago, Pastor Good led this church to make two decisions. One to make me the senior pastor of the church, and the other was to put him on my staff. We literally changed places in one night. That changed the nature of those conversations between he and me. He'd come in, we'd be talking about something, I'd be asking him questions, yeah, 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 then he would just sprint on out of there without a care in the world. And there I sat with all of that on my shoulders and the axe right over my neck. And here's what I thought as I started to experience that any second in those first eight years I spent lusting after his position of authority, that was a very foolish second spent. And the point is this. Listen, if God has put you in a position of being submissive to somebody else's authority, there is freedom that comes to that. Seize it and enjoy it. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, what we're talking about just goes against our grain. Every bit of it goes against our grain. And we need a Lord and Savior who helps us become more and more like you even when it's hard. And so I pray for us as men... In every way that you've called upon us to be submissive, I pray, Lord, that we would do it. For those who are women here, I pray that they would want to do exactly the same. And Lord, thank you for the many, many evidences of submissive fruitfulness around here. And we pray that that would continue. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.